for Thursday, February 22nd, 2018. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. everyone welcome to this week's episode hope everyone is doing well as if you're watching the video you can see the lights behind us are working again we're no longer we're not in spoiler territory but we're going to talk about our top story this week and that is mm. the release of black panther mm. who here has seen black panther contributed to its record-breaking opening mm. i have kishore Six, Jeremy Williams, sixty-six percent of us. Oh, okay. Well, that's, there's there's room to contribute to uh, to week two, just and like in Stone Title. To be fair, you you are going to go see this. Movie. Of course, yes, I'm excited to see this movie. It's just that there were, as you've heard, lines, and my son, who I have to see Marvel films with, uh, doesn't like the lines. Nothing I can do about that. Except, I mean, I could have looked ahead. I could have gotten a reserved seat, but those are <laughs> those are all long gone. How was your viewing experience before we get into the actual film? Oh, I did. I, I bought tickets a week before, and I did uh, the trick that we use: matinee showings. So, uh, you know, I'm ashamed to say I no longer do Thursday midnight showings. I stopped my. I think my last Thursday midnight showing might have been. Oh, this will date me. Indiana Jones: Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh. Ugh, well, that movie doesn't exist. I probably have done one. Like, you know they show movies on Thursday not at midnight anymore. They show I them mean, at like that, 7 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But back back in the day, back 10 years ago, it was that you know to get the, the first showing was going to always be midnight Thursday night between Thursday and Friday. And I know they do the Thursday evening ones, and I've done a couple of those, especially if you do like preview screenings or something, and we always we'll jump at those. Uh, but for Black Panther, those are all me sold out. I didn't buy them months in advance. But the trick is, you could always get matinee showings, and if you do one for Saturday morning, you will probably get a good CD if you buy like six days in advance. So, and it's cheaper; it's much cheaper. So, I did, um, you know, uh, Cinemark XD recliner seats, 2D, and and got decent seats. What did you think of the movie? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not of the ticket buying experience. Thumbs so. up. Um, it's tough to talk about this movie, and I think the movie is still so fresh, even though so many people have seen it so far, that we're not going to talk about spoilers today. No spoilers. Just like on Stone Titled, we're not going to talk about spoilers, especially since, Jeremy, you haven't seen it. I appreciate that. Um, gosh. Uh, I will say that the movie... Um, last week we talked about how excited we were, or at least I was, that this movie was going to sh- show to the world the glory and the awesome story, uh, the, the world building of Wakanda, and it... 100% fulfilled on that. Totally. Uh, totally what I didn't expect was the emotional impact of the film, the, the how great a villain the film would be. And these, uh, like, like it almost reminded me of a Pixar movie in that Pixar movies strike a chord with these universal emotions and these universal truths that we all relate to. And, and whether it's a feeling of, you know, the, the, the father and the child, parent and child, you know, uh, personal insecurity, all these things. And this movie did that in a way that I don't know a Marvel movie has done yet. Wow. It wasn't just fun, 
explosive, action-packed, and you know, a thrill ride through and through, it struck this emotional chord, especially at the end. It nailed the landing so hard that I choked up. I, and and I, I yeah, I cried at the end. I agree with most everything you 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 say. Um, I definitely had an emotional impact. I think this might be the best villain they've ever had. And the reason it's the best villain isn't that he was scarier or anything. He was the most relatable villain Marvel's had. He was the most believable. Like, yes. Like, human, real-world villain. 100%. Um, I also... um, I, I have a couple, like, very minor criticisms. For a movie named Black Panther, I feel like we got shorted on Black Panther. Oh, my. A little bit. Like I think that's really? the one thing that was missing. I wow, think, you're the Rotten Tomatoes reviewer. It said not not enough no, bad guys no, being punched. No, no, I lo- I love this film, but it was it was that I don't think we got enough T'Challa. I didn't think we got enough development of T'Challa in this movie. I think you need to watch it a second time because I, I felt I'm like gonna, we got a lot of T'Challa. Well, I and think, I felt like he shared the screen well, and the oh, characters very much. shared the screen. So maybe in the fact that it wasn't just this lone hero, it wasn't Iron Man. Yeah, you know. this movie wasn't about him. Yeah. It was about like the whole ensemble of people around him. Were you satisfied by the amount or lack of other Avengers in this film? Yeah, uh, y- yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's so, just, I mean, the worst part of this movie is the stinger at the end. The post credits. That's the worst cuz I heard that was good. It was this, good. This the second post credits. That's the worst thing in this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, that there tells you, go. you something <laughs> about this movie. Um it's a movie that I left feeling sad that it wasn't real. Oh, like Ready Player One. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Like I walked out feeling so like it, it was so so good. That I walked out I'm like, wow. I wish that was a real place, and I wish those people were real. Hmm. Uh, there was um, this awesome thing that I found uh, online that's sort of making its rounds called Shadow and Act, where they have directors come in and sort of draw on scenes like they play scenes of the movie on on like a plasma screen and and the director of the film comes and sort of diagrams different choices they've made and ryan coogler did this for a scene in black panther the casino scene that's in the trailer and it was fascinating seeing the intricacies of the choices that they made so that casino scene which is in the trailer he talked about costume choices like symbolism in the costume how the three characters in that in that uh, casino scene, the the heroes, one's wearing wet, red, one's wearing green, one's wearing black, symbolizing an African flag. Um, and just like how um, just detail-oriented he was about bringing, drawing symbolism throughout the movie. I was really deeply impressed with um, that level of detail and authenticity that he, he brought to this, to this film. Uh, Gosh, what a! Con- I mean, he's made exceptional movies. Fruitvale Station mm-hmm. is a, a real hard, great watch. Creed, probably one of the most underrated movies of that year. Yep, I can't wait to see what he does next because this was a triumph um, for him. Did you like Creed? I haven't seen it. Oh, you got to watch Creed. Creed is great. Oh, uh, do, do some homework. Mm-hmm. Watch. Did you like any of the Rocky movies? Yeah, of course. If you like the Rocky movies. Mm-hmm. Like not Rocky Four. If you yeah, like yeah. Rocky Four, the Creed well, not, is not Rocky not, Six. Yeah, Rocky. Yeah, okay. not Rocky Six. That's that's the one we can all forget. Uh, watch, watch. Wait, no, wait. Which one's Rocky Six? Hold on, hold on. 
Let's like I'm I'm getting my Rockies. There's so there's too many of them. There's too there's many. So if you many like of them. if you like the original Rocky, I like Rocky like, Boboa. The one with like the Tommy Gunn. That's the one we don't we <laughs> won't forget. Uh, you'll love Creed, and I think watching Creed is actually a really great setup to watch Black Panther because mm-hmm. it, it, Creed has uh, allows Michael B. Jordan to show some some great acting chops and huge emotional depth that I think gets carried over as an actor into Black Panther. You know, uh, the last thing I'll say about this movie, it didn't try to accomplish a lot. It didn't set out with this, like, lofty, the world is going to end kind of plot line. I appreciate That's a really good that. point, yeah. I really appreciated that. Well, no, I mean, there was some world, world stakes. There has to be something at stake, but there isn't this, uh, there wasn't the same level of stakes that felt like Marvel's been one-upping the stakes every time. It's sure. like, oh, New York City's in danger. Oh, no, the world is in danger. Oh, no, the universe is in danger. This took a step back from that that I really appreciate. And while there were like the the world ending kind of stakes that were sensibly there, they were MacGuffins. They weren't the emotional core or even the, the climactic part of the, the movie. Um, one thing I want to be cognizant of, and it's something like I, I when I walked out movie, I'm like, hmm, I want to champion this film, and we are championing this film. I want to tell people how much I like it, but it's also like kind of how I feel like when I walk uh, when I hear some. Someone say they loved Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like who's not Asian. Meaning, like, like you like, you won't. Un- I'm not. The, you I, can't fully tap into yeah, what that experience exactly. Means and so it's for not for people. me. Like I, I'm going to point people to the the other people who who can really f- who, who who I think like there are lots of people who have great things to say about Black Panther. Who I think you should read. I'm not going to contribute that much. I will say I liked it. And I think I wholeheartedly recommend it, but I don't have that much to say about it. it it's not that hard to find inc- incredible stories of um, African-American filmmakers and directors, not just associated with this movie, talking about the experience of, of watching this movie and about how uh, the representation, the symbolism, the craft that went into this meant a lot to them. Um, and so read and hear what they like have that. to say. All that being said, I appreciate this. Like, I'm coming at this as a comic book fan, one that's read recent Black Panther series like World of Wakanda and the Coats Run. This was a, a triumph. Were you happy with the amount of or lack of Infinity Stones? <laughs> I cannot, that's a loaded question. I cannot comment on whoa, this whoa, for do your we need, benefit. Do we need to have spoiler I cannot spoiler comment light? on this safely for... Jeremy's wow. benefit. No, wow. No, you I, I want I'm so curious, Kishore. Oh, you you know how I feel about this. Everyone knows how I feel that's watched the movie. Um <laughs> I have feelings. <laughs> the movie stands on its own. Mm. All right. We got another story here. <laughs> um no, I I think that's that's our yeah. big that, let's get jumped in the uh actually before we get into the pop culture. Uh, pop culture news. Uh, I want to hear about your recent road trip. Oh, yeah. No, I wouldn't consider that pop culture, but... Sure. It, what you did this past weekend. I hopped in my car with my family. My son had an extra couple days off school um, this long weekend, and we drove all the way to Utah to Zion National Park. Utah? Okay. Utah, Utah. That's a day's drive. <laughs> it was a long drive. Yeah. And what was fascinating about it is... Um, we get, we got to take routes that uh, I, I've never sort of driven on before. So we drove through Nevada on uh, the US 50, which is labeled the loneliest road in America because there's just nothing on it 
for huge stretches, like 100 miles between towns. And there's no development whatsoever because the only thing out there is land that the military's used for, for testing purposes. So you get wide swaths of just sort of natural beauty. And it was so incredible to just have a drive where there was a there was a stretch for two hours we didn't see another car. That's the kind of thing where you see this is the last gas station for uh, 100 miles. Wow. And, but that experience of like driving for so long and not seeing another car. Yeah. And uh, was just, it was wonderful. I hadn't had that experience of like a true like, road trip we were just listening to like different podcasts the whole way and just chatting with each other it was a real wonderful throwback um i really like that drive on the us 50 i highly recommend it um for those that have it basically starts like outside of reno you, you can go all the way to carson city but it starts outside of reno and goes all the way across the state well, uh, what did your son do in the car the whole time <laughs> um we actually for most of the stretch we actually like talked to each other and played car games he Card eventually games. broke down and, and got out his tablet and watched a movie mm. and stuff. So technology finally came into play. But for the longest time, we yeah. like held out. That's nice. He was really nice. And then uh, Zion's like, <coughs> I don't believe in God, but that is like a, a, a place that brings me close. I love that location. Um, got to do some epic hikes there. We went canyoneering. I took my seven-year-old rappelling for the first time. Whoa. So, yeah, what are the activities when you get there that you can sign up for? So the, I think one of the best hikes I've ever done in my life is in Zion National Park, the Narrows, where basically it's the slot canyon, 100 feet on either side. It just goes straight up, and there's a small stream that runs through it, and you hike up the river. You can hike down it too, but you can hike up it for you know eight eight to ten miles. Uh, there's also a hike there called the Subway Caves, where it's literally you're in a canyon that turns into a cave that looks like a hollowed out subway wow. tunnel. Um, you did that? I I didn't do it this time. I, I've done it in previous um, visits. And then there's a lot, because this is sort of a, that sort of like terraced rock formations that you see in the Southwest, there's a lot of rock climbing and that stuff. And we went on a canyoneering adventure where we scrambled through a slot canyon and then rappelled down. Um, so I got to take my seven-year-old rappelling. I got to have that moment with my wife where she's like, I'm never forgiving you for this, for doing this to my son, where he's kind of like dangling off a rope. Uh, but it turned out to be great. I mean, obviously you had an instructor there. You didn't yeah, bring your course. own rappelling gear. Of course. Was it a part of a larger group? Uh, it was just the seven of us. Like I, I met um, some family there. Oh, cool. It was really delightful. And then uh, coming back, we drove through Vegas. And you know what? It's underrated, that drive between Utah and and Vegas, and it actually snowed while we were out there. And it was beautiful landscape to to see a little bit of snow. That's cool. Is it just super flat the whole time? And then you saw this this lights no. and it like that area between Utah and Las Vegas has all these huge mountainous um, areas. God, how fun would that be on a self driving car? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, are you are you even looking out the window though? Like maybe you're just maybe you're watching. No, the then you're looking out the window for. Um, for comfort, because if you're not in control of the car, you, you don't want to get motion sick. You got to look outside. That's a good point. It was it was wonderful. You need some AR. If you haven't taken a long road trip in a long time, I encourage everyone to do it. Dinesh is back. Not that Dinesh. Oh, the one that's making news on Twitter. Not that one. 
Please no. But our friend Dinesh from Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley season five. It's it, I can't believe it's season five already. Do you feel like this needs to be it? Last season maybe? No. Really? Go on and on and on. I know we live it, so it's a little bit strange being here in Silicon love Valley. Love it. We live it and love it. Silicon Valley season five coming out HBO. New trailer out. Uh, I haven't watched it. What'd you guys think? What'd you think? Sure. It was great. I and mean, the big news about this year, and this isn't hidden news, is T.J. Miller left the show. No Ehrlich. No more Ehrlich. So it's just the boys. I felt like the show needs to end because the trailer hits the same notes. I mean, it's still hilarious, but it's the same notes that had dotted every season. Oh, I can't believe we got this much money. Oh, we've lost control of our company again. Oh, this zany thing happens. But we got I some shots like, of Jin Yang. That's all that matters to me. And speaking of Jin Yang, you know he's going to be in San Francisco doing a City Hearts and Lectures yes. talk. That's so weird. <laughs> the comedian, the actor who plays uh, who plays Jin Yang. Haven't you led this before? What? Uh, have you led the City Hearts talks before? Yeah, I'm doing one in two weeks, yeah. but not with Jin Yang, no. despite my protests to oh. just do hot dog, <laughs> not hot dog, <laughs> for two hours on stage. All right. Um, and then, oh, okay. We got to talk about Star Wars, all right? Okay. Um, toy Fair was this past weekend. Uh, New York Toy Fair, uh, big toy convention, Hasbro, Mattel, Lego. They all share some of their upcoming releases. Some of it's, it's like it's... It's for a convention that's about toys. It is surprisingly, uh, I from what fo- photos I've seen, not public friendly. It's all like wall. It's it's like what you think of when you think of CES, um, like twenty five years ago. Uh, very like um, like B two B. You know, it's very uh, it's it's just exhibitors showing product. They've really resisted turning more public facing yeah I mean, they, they put up walls at the convention center you're walking down the the, the big javits center and uh you you can't see the toys because they're all in like walled booths it's like corporate secrets and then you're invited in based on your appointment and then you could see toys toys and so um they now, do wh- allow press to be yeah. fair but it's limited why is that is it in order to keep the conversations confidential well this is a this is really about selling toys yeah and i think well, selling I, I, toys to, other, to not to children or not to, to, pe- distributors. to, to distributors, yes, to toy stores and to retailers. Uh, but there were some, some interesting things that came out. So um, You know there's one I want to talk about. Well, let's talk about the Millennium Falcon first. Okay. Um, so there's a new Millennium Falcon that was unveiled at um, the, uh, the Hasbro booth. And this is the Millennium Falcon is from the, Solo. Is it the Lego one? No, no, no. This okay. is uh, this is just a Millennium Falcon from the solo film, and apparently, it reveals something about the Falcon from the upcoming film more than what we saw in the trailer. Because in the trailer, we saw kind of a cleaned up Falcon, like a addition more of the right place. Um, what are we getting out of the out of this? And and this isn't much of a spoiler. I don't. The one I'm looking at is the Lego one. Oh. Tell me about the Lego one. <laughs> um, it looks totally different than the Millennium Falcon. Uh, like the, the Millennium Falcon has those two little things in the front, the pill, the bills with the, you think it's a hauler of some kind, and it has the, the big center part and like a claw, but it doesn't actually move. But this one has, doesn't the man, have that. the mandibles. Yeah, I guess that that's what it is. Yeah, but this this one it's just filled has, in. Yeah, it's totally well, so filled in. Well, so in the Hasbro toy, you actually see parts that come off, and theoretically, it's when they're going through the Kessel Run. Mm-hmm. Is the speculation that parts start flying off of the Millennium Falcon, like in the back? It's why the engines 
uh, the vents are exposed on top oh. of the engines. You don't think that's a modification, like to make it faster? I th- it could have been damage yeah. from from the Kessel Run. Mm-hmm. Is do, is the speculation? I do like the idea of, you know, I think there were some complaints about like that, like slick, clean, white looking Millennium Falcon in the trailer. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. You want the new one? Yeah, oh, I want the newish, fresh off as, the line, as yeah. issued. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the thing I think you want to talk about, Kishore, is Hasbro Lab. Uh, well, sort of. This is a super interesting. So Hasbro. Um, which uh, bought Kenner and, and has uh, does all the, the the various Star Wars figures like they do the Black Series, um, they do the three and a half inch line. Uh, they are launching a new toy. Now, do you guys remember what we talked about on Netflix, the toys that made us? Sure. And they talked about how uh, was it Hasbro when the GI Joe days they made so much money that they could afford to make like the aircraft carrier for GI Joes, USS Flag, right? That like. The molds, the injection molds for that must have been so expensive, and they must have only sold like a handful of those. But they were so flush in money that they were like, F it, we're going to make a giant play set that's going to be like four feet long for children that because we can. Well, Hasbro's at it again, and now they've announced a four feet long, a 50-inch long play set for your Star Wars toys. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Jabba's Palace. Sail Barge. Sail Barge, sorry. Jabba's Sail Barge from Jedi. It looks incredible. Like, you see renditions. Obviously, they don't really have a prototype of this. Like, the idea behind this is is you're kickstarting a short run uh, of this design. Yeah, they're looking for 5,000 backers. So That's the part I don't This like. is and, – and I think there's a – people are calling it crowdfunding. And so the idea is it that – It is crowdfunding. Is it's it? not. Sure it is. It is. Just like any other crowdfunding It's exercise. a pre-order system. I would not call – I think we need a better f- name for this. So this, the idea is it's $500, and they are not going to manufacture this mm-hmm. unless they get 5,000 people to commit to pre-orders, to put That's, $500 in. You just defined what Kickstarter is. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but Kickstarter, it's about using those funds to actually enable manufacturing. Not, not, no, not just. It's also about proving markets and, and making sure that there is demand for this product. I think we need a better name than crowdfunding because they're not funding the manufacturer of this. They're supporting it and they're proving they're interested like i wouldn't call lego ideas crowdfunding no because you're not putting in money but you're putting commitment like i don't think the i i I hesitate to believe that the money that is that they're not going to make this already oh really yeah you think this is a foregone conclusion i think they're going to make it they have 41 days to get another 3,500 backers. Yeah, 1,500 backers have already backed it. Do 41 you, days ago. You're saying that if they don't make that, they're going to say, don't worry about it. We got you. Th- th- I think they'll probably make it. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know, man. Because they're supposed to ship in, um, they're supposed to ship it later, like, s- later this year. So the barge itself, mm. like a, a large scale barge Tell that me. has cutaways, that has different levels to it, that shows a scale that. I don't think it's quite accurate to the scale of the figures, mm-hmm. like the Kenner figures, but it's close. That would be big. That would be really big. But um, I, I love the idea of that toy. I love the idea that they have imagined areas of this barge that we never saw. That there are, there's like a little jail cell inside the barge. It really looks like a playset. Yeah, like it's a the whole the side panels come out and you have like a cross section. It includes one figure, Jabba. A big one. Uh, you know, two scale, three yeah. and a half inch size Jabba. I think we actually have one of those from um, that we got from Hasbro. Oh, we, we painted one on a, on a video a couple of years ago. Uh, but you supply your own other figures if you want the Boba Fett. 
You got to bring your own Boba Fett. You got to bring your own Leia. You got to bring your own Han Solo, Chewie, and Luke. Yeah, bartenders, like the whole shebang. You got to get R2 with the the bartending R2. Just like all the extras on that barge, too. Just people wandering around. Fabric sales. Is it fabric sales? I think so. I think, yeah. That makes, you know, $500 is actually a pretty good price. It's a great price for that. Especially if you want to modify it. You're trying to get these people. Now you're worried. Like maybe they won't get to five. They're gonna get. You gotta start giving it a hard sell. I think this is. uh, So the question I have is: Are they only gonna make five thousand, or they? Is it once they get that five thousand backer, then they can pay for the molds, or they say that's what's gonna take for them to pay for the injection molding for something this big? Like, there's gotta be margin on this. I hope they stick to their guns. I hope they just do the run. Um, and only if they if they get the number of backers to it. If you're going to do it, stick to it. Well, now wait a minute. If there are only five thousand of these things, that makes this much more valuable than five hundred dollars. Absolutely, for sure. Yeah, I didn't know that was the deal. I thought that that was going to establish it as a toy they would make indefinite numbers of. Well, like that I, would give them the minimum. Yeah, like they would make no money. Like, are they doing this as a as a razor blade model where they're like, okay, it's gonna we need like, I hope. Because they're making plenty of money, hand over fist. That the five hundred dollars to me seems like a reasonable for this amount of injection molding and this amount of plastic and, and fabrication. That they're not making a ton of margin on this, and that they're selling this basically at cost. That's why they need the five thousand backers to amortize the, the molding, and then they need, of course, you need to buy the, the the figurines to fill it, and then you can make your margin on that. That I would then call crowdfunding. I um. I think they will reserve the right to make more in the future, but I hope they do limited supply. Like, I'm not excited about that for, like, people that will invest in it and all that. But this is not so different than, you know, what Sideshow and other maquette makers do. They do limited runs of those. So I I don't see a problem with it. Make it a short run thing. Make it really valuable and rare to start. And uh, if it goes on from there, awesome. Um I was wrong. It would ship next year. So this does tell me that they don't have the manufacturing capabilities ready yet. February of ne- a year from now, $500 in to get this a year from now, it's a long wait. Ooh. Do you think someone will blow one up? <laughs> Are you asking yeah. we should blow one up? Well, that would be fun. That would be fun. So note. they have a photo in their website, HasbroLab.com, of one of the Island model makers working on the miniature barge. And it looks pretty much like five feet long, four and a half, five feet long. I wonder if this could be considered studio scale. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, oh, ooh, ooh, yeah, oh. Get it. They're debating about it. Get it. It's a lot of that... money. But it seems, okay, I think it's a really interesting initiative to launch products of this scale. Uh, what would they, what do you think they should go for next? Uh, in the Star Wars universe? In the Star Wars universe. Or let's not uh, let's start with Star Wars. But like, w- if this is something that, you know, they have the license, they just need to get Lucasfilm approval, but let's let's say that they were, they're only going to make 5000 or something. Um, in that $500 range, what would you want? I mean, it's got to be the Death Star, doesn't it? No. No? The Death Star's too big. I want an AT-AT. <laughs> uh, like a... Really nice. Don't, don't they have one? They don't have an ATAT for three and a half inch figures. Uh, I mean, they had the toy, but I think the. I'm sort of assuming that the construction of this will be better, like higher quality stuff. Maybe uh-huh. they do have five hundred dollars. I don't know, man. Maybe, Maybe not. Maybe. This one. 
What do you want? What do you want? Yeah. Land speeder? No. See, that's, I think they, they would, um, that's, that's not of the no, scale. Sorry, the stupid idea. What, what do you want? <laughs> I think, um, gosh. I, it, it, uh, a frigate? Medical frigate? Oh. <laughs> I'm just trying to, like, I don't, butts I don't out know. some weird I, stuff I, now. I think a place, like, what, what are the I iconic mean, the locations? Thing is the destroyer. It's the Star, star destroyer. destroyer. Like the bridge of a Star Destroyer. Or, or the Emperor's Throne Room. Yeah. Or uh, the cry, uh, the uh, the carbonite chamber with with functioning liquid nitrogen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cloud City platform with, with that you put your Falcon on. Yeah. That could be cool. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh-huh. Dagobah, <laughs> the swamps of Dagobah. <laughs> <laughs> Supply your own pond scum. Uh, that's not the toy I was excited about though. What was? Uh, the uh, Marvel Legends series is coming out with an Infinity Gauntlet. With oh. articulating fingers. I saw this. Oh. Yeah, this th- and you're excited. Uh, well, I don't think I am. Kishore has been making his own Infinity Yeah, Gauntlet. the reason I'm not excited about this, I mean, it has light-up gems, and I, I put a link to, to sort of the, the view. I like that it's a toy with articulating fingers. I think that's a pretty big um, development. And it has light-up um, stones in it, which is, which is, which is neat. But it's plastic. You can see the, like the look and feel of it. It's plastic. I don't think it looks that great. It, I don't think it looks that good either because it's plastic. It needs to have a metal finish on it. That's clear. Kate Blanchett said, as Hella said in Thor Ragnarok, fake. <laughs> Knock it over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one last bit of, from Toy Fair I want to talk about. Um, DC, uh, I guess it's, what is the name of the, DC Collectibles has a new, um, new range of high-end <coughs> bus limited edition bus for characters and the first one they're releasing is the Joker sculpted by Rick Baker. Nice. Digitally sculpted. They're only making 200 of these and it is Rick Baker's interpretation of the Joker. Rick Baker has done a lot of Jokers. He um, did makeups of the Joker for his entire, his family uh, a couple years ago for Halloween and uh, this one looks uh, looks beautiful. It's and, horrifying and, and menacing. Yeah, terrifying. I love how the the one detail I really like is the eyes are different sizes. It's like kind of the Joker squinting just like a little bit. It adds to like the mania. Yeah, and the teeth are horrifying. It's how, straight out of like a, hmm. a British Journal of Smile. How large is this? Uh, it's it's life size bust. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Talent. Very very cool. Um, okay, let's switch some gears and talk about uh, talk about video games. Um, sure. Have you guys know what Replay FX is? No. Yes, because you talk about it every year, every year around yes. this time. Well, around July. So it's coming up, uh, and I wanted to bring it to everyone's attention in case you are in the Pittsburgh area and you're going to be there late July. Tickets go on sale this weekend for Replay FX, which is a fantastic retro games event where they bring in all the old video games and all the pinball games, and you play. For on free play after paying your admission for one, two, or three days. So East Coast version of California Extreme. I would say it is better than California Whoa. Extreme because it's not Silicon Valley and it's not crazy, crazy crowded. Like it's oh. in, it's, it's Pittsburgh. They have more space. They the you know, convention center is more affordable, so they just have more space at their disposal, and there are not as many people there. So there's not lines for every single game. You can hear the games. There's space between them. And uh, it's a wonderful event. I love it. And I'll be flying out there to compete in Pinburg, which is the world's biggest pinball tournament. You are competing. Again. I will be competing. Oh, it's that time of year again. I can't believe it's been a year already. Well, July. July, July. is when, when okay. we go. Are you so taking tickets are on sale? Tickets go on sale Saturday. 
Are you taking your your son again? I think you took him last yeah. year, right? Yeah. Last I heard, he wanted to go. And uh, it, it's enjoyable for like a family to go. Not it, it doesn't just have to be if you're competing. No, 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 no. Most people aren't competing. No, then there are other things like Billy Mitchell was there, Steve Weeby was there. Uh, you know, competing. We have some things to talk about. We with didn't Billy talk Mitchell. about that last week. How did we not talk about that? Oh my goodness, we didn't. Our, we didn't. It was it was on our show notes, and we didn't talk about it. Oh my, we goodness. gotta talk about Billy Mitchell. Let's, What's going on? Do it. All right, so. <laughs> Uh, Billy Mitchell, if you've seen the documentary King of Kong, uh, gamer of the century, video gamer of the of, of the 20th century, uh, holds high scores for um, a first person to have a perfect game of Pac-Man. Yeah, very good. And at some point held a high score for Donkey Kong um, and, and runs his hot sauce company, of course. Mm-hmm. American, uh, a collector of American um, America-themed ties. Uh Back in the news because his submission for Donkey Kong High Score, which is not the high score currently, but it was the one that he had submitted to beat Steve Weeby's high score in the documentary. Oh, like 15 years ago. Is now in contention because analysis of the footage shows that it was run on MAME. That's right. That's right. It and, was not running a real board. And it was a video he supplied himself. Yes. Now, he did, he did have a witness because the, the Twin Galaxies... Uh, rules say that you submit a video and you must have real uh, credible witness. Yeah. Uh, and even the witness's credibility is pulled into question. So what's the deal? What's the state of it? I think you, I think you got it. I, I, last I heard, Twin Galaxies was looking into it, and, uh, and they would uh, try to be as fair as possible. But the, the whole problem is like not only is Billy Mitchell's credibility on the line, Twin Galaxies is. And Twin Galaxies what? Is, is really known as like the... They, they hold the, the chambers of the great high scores of all time of, of every single video game. They don't want their reputation to be in question. So hopefully they will make the right decision here. Um, I, I actually have, I'm not up to date. Maybe his scores have been pulled. I'm not sure. But it's, it's a sad day for, for, to be Billy Mitchell. And it's a good day to be Steve Weeby. A little vindication. He I did address so. this. Billy Mitchell addressed it on a radio show. And the way in which he defended his... Um, his videotape was not convincing. He just said the person who who claimed that it's not it, it's not a legit score doesn't have the real tape. But the analysis of the meme came from the very video that he supplied, and it's a frame by frame analysis. You can see yeah. the way in which the screen refreshes yeah. and the characters, the sprites are rendered, is of meme and not of the board. And you might say, well, what's wrong with playing on meme? It's one hundred percent accurate. And the, the the problem is that you can pause and rewind time in in such a way that. That's right. That you can't with real boards, right? Without like significant hacking, and then you can edit that together into right. you know a, what looks like a convincing single take of video. And there's no like no one is saying that he uh, he did this, that he did multiple takes, that he spliced together a run of Donkey Kong. But the fact that he wasn't honest about it and continues not to be, and continues yeah. not to admit the fact that it's it's um, that it wasn't from a, a board, uh, that brings the legitimacy of it into question. Um, where can you find out more information? We're, we're to follow the, uh, the the follow the drama. The, there's some forums, Twin Galaxy forums. I mean, there's people making excellent YouTube videos about it. Um, I don't know, but more importantly, if you want to play some games, <laughs> go to <laughs> check replayfx.org. Replayfx. Yeah. Hot, hot sauce tasting. That's what, what I really when want to Billy, know. When Billy was there a couple years ago, he had his hot sauce there, a whole booth set up. I don't imagine he'll be showing up this year. See, I feel oh. like no one's done much analysis of the hot sauce to see if it's any good. 
<laughs> if its ingredients really match up to what's stated, it's it's, it's I'm in the fr- willing to go. It's, it's front and center at the at the local grocery stores. Is it? Well, you know, in the commer- in, in the, in the oh, documentary, yeah, yeah, he moves okay. it front and <laughs> okay. center because right. he moves it from the back. He t- he takes extra shelf space. Uh, I gotta watch that again. Um, there was a story that came out um, this past week that's more of a business story, but it's, it's, it's like the real-world version of What If, of Marvel Comics' What If. You know about this, Jeremy, the What If series? Oh, no, 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 no. So in, in Marvel Comics, there's a famous line. In DCs, they have it. Uh, it's called Elseworlds. Um, but they, uh, they like to have fun um, and let the writers and the artists tell these stories of What If... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they, they and then they have this absurd like you know it's like a, a butterfly effect. Like, what ifs uh, instead of Peter Parker being bitten by the spider, it was Mary Jane who was bitten by the spider, and then write this one issue or multi like miniseries about this alternate you know, universe. Alternate universe. Got it. Right, and they take these critical pivotal moments sometimes in Marvel history from all the events, whether it's Infinity War or the the Clone Saga or whatever, and they say, what if this other thing yeah. had happened? And it's really fun for fans to see that that kind of um, th- that imagination put on the page. Uh, and in DC, they have these Elseworlds stories like where they have these alternate universe stories. Well, we have a real-world what-if in our Earth Prime universe. What if, instead of Marvel Studios making the Marvel films, Sony had bought the rights to make the Marvel films. Right. And it could very well have happened. Wall Street Journal um, published a story that said back in the 90s, 1998, when Sony was, Sony, which had the rights to Spider-Man and made a ton, uh, and was making the first Spider-Man movie, which was gonna, it came out in 2001, you know, at that time, highest grossing weekend film of, of, of all time, really setting the stage for the modern superhero film, along with um, X-Men from Fox. Uh, they, had, they had the opportunity to buy the rights Every Marvel character for $25 million. Wait a minute. Total? Total. Oh, my gosh. $25 million. Who would have thought? Uh, This was when Marvel Entertainment was near bankruptcy, and comics were not doing so well. And before we knew about the the money-making potential, uh, before Disney spent its billions to buy the rights to most of the Marvel characters. But Sony wasn't interested. No. No one cares. It's just like Star Wars, right? Only like, wanted to buy Spider-Man. Lucas couldn't find a buyer for Star Wars. Lucas for, couldn't find a buyer for Star Wars. No, like J.K. Rowling, right? Like she shopped around Harry Potter. No one wanted it. Not, no, not. that's that's not true, actually. No, I think. <laughs> no, I th- I think. No, so. no th- that that got an immediate buyer. Yeah, Star Wars. I think. I think Lucas found the right suitor yeah. to take care of the franchise, and as you know, Disney has clearly earned its money back uh, from that purchase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, many times They've over. Done well. Yeah, uh, but what a world that would be! Hey, is that new Marvel ride open in Disneyland? It probably is, right? The the new Twilight Zone of Terror converted to oh, yeah, the Marvel yeah. thing. Oh yeah, it's at Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, have you? I have been not there. been. I want to see what that's all yeah. about. Um, and and oh god, I gotta make a, I got I want to make a trip to Disneyland to do that and also to do the VR Star thi- Star Wars thing, the yeah. Star Wars VR in Downtown Disney. Let's expense it. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we could do that. Yeah, let's do our own road trip. And then uh, one last bit of pop culture news. Um, is is there a new book about the video game business out? You want to talk about? <laughs> is that what are you talking about? Is this, are, is this a are book? you reading the headline? No, no, no. So we're talking about the Atari story, right? Yes. Okay. No, no. no. So uh, last month we didn't talk about this, and this was a good story. Mm. Uh, Nolan Bushnell was going to be nominated at GDC for a Pioneer Award. Did you hear about this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which y- you think to yourself, well, 
how was he not the first person to receive the Pioneer Award? Like, how has he not gotten this award already? He's freaking Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari, the reason why m a lot of people in the games industry are in the games industry. And uh, he was immediately met with, um, you know, backlash on Twitter and elsewhere um, because it was apparently there were some events in the 1970s at Atari where women were uh, potentially, you know, not treated very respectfully. Um, Co-ed. Uh, hot tubs, you know, invitations to clothing optional parties, this kind of thing. Psychedelics, like lots of... Right. And and so within hours, they rescinded the award. They said, I'm sorry, we're not going to be presenting this to Nolan due to all the backlash. Nolan um, gave what is probably the best apology I've ever read from anybody who has been accused of sexual misconduct in the past year. So you should read that. But I also wanted to point you to the story that Kotaku published last mm. last week, which is an investigative uh, report where they talked to 12 females who worked at Atari in the earliest days to talk about their experiences there. And to a large degree, it I wouldn't say it vindicates anybody, but it definitely gives perspective on not just what the 70s meant for this, but also uh, what Atari was and who Nolan was compared to other companies. And the people who work there, these 12 females individual, uh, the, the report, it's a long article, and it, it's filled with interesting details. But at one point, she says that a quarter of them could, have, could say Me Too and be, include themselves in the Me Too movement. But all of them, those, well, those that, that would say that, say it has nothing to do with their experience at Atari. Hmm. That their experience at Atari was one where women were uh, promoted uh, quickly if they were good at their job, like anyone else, and that there were people at Atari um, in all the all the different divisions uh, who were female and non, who were uh, you know who felt like it was a really wonderful place to work. So, it's an interesting bit of perspective on on that story. I I'm, I was sorry to see Nolan get such bad attention over this, and I, I think this is a it's a nice break from that. I think that in the future he will get that award, yeah. get that recognition. From from GDC this year maybe is not the right year <laughs> and for I that to happen. That's probably the the, the bigger point is that this this asking the uh, GDC not to award this to Nolan is more about what do we want to reflect about the game industry today, yeah. and and that's just not current. So yes, I, I'm with you on that. Got it. Uh, where are we going? Uh, We're going to tech, tech news. Oh my God! There you go. You guys use Google? No. What's that? <laughs> it's a new company, startup, <laughs> search engine. Babble. No. What with Babblefish? What was I using before Google? Alta Vista. You use Alta Vista? Yeah, you remember well, that. What right? were your search engines of choice before Google? I hate to admit this, but my wife used Ask Jeeves. Oh sure. Ask.com, Ask Jeeves. Wow. Ask Jeeves, not um, good. What was the one that aggregated a bunch like uh, hot, hot wire, something aggregated what? Uh, all, a Searches? bunch of other search like engines. Yahoo and what yeah, else? yeah. Yahoo for a long time was indexed um, by hand, like, like manually. manually yeah, indexed. Yeah, yeah. It was it was not. And then web crawler, web crawler was one I used um, before Google. Yeah, Lycos wow. was my homepage. Lycos, Lycos, yes, Lycos. That's right. Yeah, when search engines were also ISPs for a long time, um, but Google, uh, you know most used search engine in the world. We use it very frequently. They had a recently a big feature change 
I don't know if you guys noticed. I noticed this before I read the article. Uh, I use Google Image Search a lot. This is this is big. This is a big totally deal. big deal. If, and I'm sure you guys out there, listeners out there, use Google Image Search. When you click Google, uh, when you search a term and you click images, you get this grid of images, and you can use your arrow keys and left, right, typically associated with each image. And the, before last week were the options to uh, visit the website that the w image is hosted on, mm -hmm. and then also a view image link that lets you actually see the image in full resolution, because what you actually see in the Google indexing is a scaled down version. Yep. Well, no longer. Yeah, like right away, it's gone. It's, they just flip a switch. I'm surprised this hasn't written about more. Yeah. Because it's, it's not been made like the front headlines of, of tech news sites. Does, does everyone not use this feature every day? I, I use, use it all the so time. I use it right? all the time too. Yes, and, and especially in research, in archiving, like a Google reverse image search and just getting the highest quality image. It's, it's almost like a, a treasure hunt to find the original source image that's not gone through cycles of compression. Um, Wait, but what, what is this all about? Is this it? is about a legal suit, a settlement that Google had with the, uh, the Getty Institute. Oh, um, of Getty, Getty images. images. Yes, Getty had sued Google because Google indexed Getty images, even the um, uh, both the watermarked one and the unwatermarked ones, and made it too easy for people to find high-res copies, they said, of images. So as part of the settlement, Google can continue to index the Getty library, but across the entire web, no longer will you have easy access to the full resolution photos. So I'm images. really surprised it's across the entire web and not just Getty's library because that's what you would think Getty cares about. Yeah, it, it, they had set that now it's new new precedent. I mean, it's got to be it. It's got to just be precedent. And they're sure that other people would follow suit and want the same treatment. Yeah, I don't know. It's already affected me because I I went looking for an image um, and I found it. Google image search. I hit view image and it took me to some Pinterest. Where it wasn't even in the, on the Pinterest, like I couldn't even find it. So is you know, I mean, it's, it, it's it gets to the case, it gets to the you know the the gray area that is image hosting and and publishing platforms. Deep linking. Um, Pinterest works because, uh, like, technically the images that people post on Pinterest are not um, they're they're not. It's a publishing platform, right? You're you're saving images, you're sharing your your galleries. Uh, but mo the people who share those galleries don't own the images. They're right. finding them other sites. And so therefore, it's just really deep linking into the sites that are originally hosted it. And Pinterest is holding, like Google Image Search, a, a thumbnail that's supposed to point you there. Um, the same with Twitter and Facebook, right? You People post images on Twitter all the time that they didn't create, that they just found online. And Twitter, you know, technically, it's on, it's on the, the publisher, you, um, to have the rights to that, and those could be taken down at any time. I don't doubt this is going to increase traffic to all of the sites that host the images. Um, it's just less convenient for me. I'm, there probably is going to be an extension available for Chrome this afternoon that solves this problem. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last night, did you see the news, last night from when we are recording this, that Twitter suspended a bunch of accounts oh. in a supposed bot crackdown? And there was a reaction this morning that I think is not very interesting where a lot of um, conservatives said this was targeted, uh, a political targeting. I think that's the less interesting part of the story for me. It's, it's a, is Twitter behind the scenes actually now taking action against suspended bots as a leap forward to try to create distinctions between who, who is real and not real 
on the platform. Mm-hmm. And is that even interesting to you? I really want to know who the bots are. Yeah, why wouldn't? Yeah, we all want to know that. I don't know. I, I think there's some people that say, well, there's certain things that are bot-like, mm-hmm. but are still have like humans behind it. And how easy have editorial value? Yeah, exactly. And how easy is it to fool this system, to fool this crackdown? We're not just talking about like the the tested one two three seven account that is clearly like bot like in nature. Yeah. That, I mean, it's really nuanced where you know basically people are making mistakes on whether things are are bots or not and how I they think interact with I, them. I, I think you're right in that some bots. Um, provide some like either humor value or are not malicious let's just say um but it's isn't it more about bots following people and inflating follow the 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 ranking that's how it was noticed i'm not sure twitter hasn't really commented on this at this point so we don't know if this crackdown is is about those inflated numbers because like you can inflate your numbers a million ways there's there's whole server farms where you can pay 10 bucks for you know, a thousand followers or whatever. That explains your numbers. Oh, whoa, Just, whoa. That's whoa. a deep cut against our old Twitter know, follower fight. Uh, but uh, I think 20% of my followers are bots, according to some algorithms. I would have no <laughs> problem with bots being, uh, you, the follows that bot you have from bots just being taken away. Meaning from everyone across the board. The expectation is everybody on Twitter is a human. I, and I don't mean the expectation from nerds because we all know that there's bots out there. But the general public mm-hmm. just assumes everybody is a human. And that's that's what I would hope it would be. I want to. I, I don't care about the follower count because the follower count is just ego in a lot of ways. I know it, it means something economically for people like, ooh, you have a lot of people following you on Twitter. I think it's, it's more important to label the bots with some sort of like robot you know, check mark. Once they robot are, egg. Once they're yeah. outed. Once they are publicly bots. What's the, what's the purpose anymore? No one's going to care what they do or say. But some people like the the novelty of. I mean, it's it's um it's like on Reddit. If you do like an automatic like yeah, I am yes. a bot. I will remind you. At, sure, sure. Or or the um the Turing you know the Turing test effect of a bot. You know, bots using neural nets to generate language, and you know having that Twitter avatar like um. I guess horse ebooks was ended up being a real person, but something like that. Like there's certain, you know, we live here in the Bay Area. We probably all follow a USGS bot on earthquakes. I'm not going to stop following that bot. That's totally different. It's not pretending to be human. I know, but like I think there are some cases where there are bots out there They're, that I don't mind following or interacting with. But I just want to know who they are. Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. There is a hilarious Echo Arena video of a guy pretending to be a bot who is like a, doing he, the robot. He's a human and he get got into a game and he pretended to be a training bot um, for new for new players. And this little kid believes believes. Well, the little kid shouldn't be playing in the first place. Well, but there are a lot of little kids playing. Echo that's Arena. It's scary. Just, that's really scary. He's so cute. He's like, nice shot, training bot. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, no. like, this is this is a sl- says, slippery slope. Uh, training bot. What what's three plus eighteen? Twenty one. You know. Just, I was like, wow, that was fast. Training bot. <laughs> <laughs> and then like gives him like a complex mathematical equation, and training bot just says the number, and he's like, wow. So, suddenly, the little kid that you see the hands move the headsets, and it gets a little taller, and it becomes the adult. What are you saying to my child? Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. Shake, shake, shake. Exactly. It could be. It could happen that way. It's good stuff. Wow. 
All right. People pretending to be bots, you see? Works both ways. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I always thought there would be a cool VR game uh, where you try to find, uh, you know you know the uh, the ship, that classic Steam game, the ship yeah. where um, people have to pretend to be robots yeah. uh, and, and you, you and hide it, amongst AI? NPCs, yeah. Uh, I would love that in VR where like, you're- It'd be impossible. It would be harder to do, it would be a, a test of the, their ability to do human-like animation. Well, so you, you just, you just generate, it's, it's just like uh, Pong, the uh, 11 ten, uh, ten, table tennis, where you just record a bunch of humans, uh, right. and you crowdsource the human animations, because yeah. you're just tracking the points, and then neural net <laughs> train your AI to do erratic things, right. and then and then the real humans have to play alongside. Oh, uh, now I'm just imagining a bunch of noise, because there's erratic movement everywhere. Well, you, I guess you have to optimize the algorithm. That would be interesting. Right? Yeah. And then you have to hide amongst the AI that's trained based on real human mm -hmm. animations. And then you could do something like a hunting game. I don't know. Make it so. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting too far ahead of ourselves. When, um, no, we're still in the dystopian future with the next story, which is on Amazon and how the robot overlords at Amazon uh -huh. are interacting with the humans. This is great. So, so Amazon. This is great? Yeah. This is, this is a good this is a okay. good story. So the New York Times is reporting that Amazon has filed a patent for a wristband that will track uh the wearer's position and give them haptic feedback when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I don't think that's like electric shocks, but I, I do think it will be some kind the, of vibration. This is not a consumer product for anyone that's worried about well, it. Well, actually, it's kind of unknown. Like, maybe Amazon's going to produce this like the Echo. Maybe this is something they're going to sell to manufacturers or theme parks. Or perhaps... Give, give me a, a use case. Perhaps where... more... Well, I think the more obvious use case is that they will <laughs> use it internally on their own workers to make sure that they are doing what they should be doing. That is just... Dopian as hell. When they should be put doing collars it. on workers and shock them when they're in places <laughs> they're not supposed to be. And it, yeah, and, and it, they're not doing the work Amazon thinks they're doing. That is effed up. Now, now I, I wow. Now I I am wrong. It's a I short jump between wristband and neck collar. <laughs> <laughs> I am wrong to feel this way, but I actually have mixed feelings about this. They're mixed. <laughs> I like how you started out being like, I am wrong to feel this way. I am. Here's how I feel. I want that. you to understand I know that. But I have been the guy in the office who is, at least at the time, working most efficiently. And every oh, whoa. <laughs> and whoa, whoa. You need to think about what you're saying next. <laughs> And everyone else on the team is like on Facebook or like you know doing a few minutes, playing and some Quake, and, and instant back messaging. Back to the old PC gamer offices. And then, okay, then I'll get back. Maybe I'll do a little more work, and then I got to like, oh, I got to do this text message, or I got to take a long lunch. And I've just been like jamming on my job, and I and I feel like it would be wonderful if everyone else was on the same page. All right, how desperately <laughs> do the viewers want to see Jeremy in a one-day build with Adam? Where he's like, yeah, right. you're slacking a little bit no, there. Like, shock the collar, shock collar, shock collar. Now that is that that is perspective generating. I, that working with Adam is will make anybody's head fry because you realize just how fast he works and thinks. Oh my goodness! Well, we can't build the robots, big humans. So let's turn our humans into the robots. Well, that's it. That's what's happening here. And so they are. They're going to make sure that everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. And apparently, like it's not. It's not a real happy place to work already. <laughs> so the fact that they might be wearing collars or wristbands that give them sh um, vibrations and are always monitoring what they're doing. 
I'm glad the story is out uh, because it gives the people there some perspective. And I mean, sometimes to develop these ideas that in a vacuum may seem, according to the numbers, like a great idea. And, uh, you know, it takes some perspective to to take a step back and say, maybe it's not the right thing to implement. Um, and we can only hope they, the people running those businesses make the right decisions and, you know. It's just a patent. But this has given me a lot of insight about working with Jeremy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Dude, you, have you been there before? You've been there before. You know what it's like. You like Don't you, comment. All right. <laughs> just saying. But th- th- then that's, that's more of a commentary on your interpersonal skills and your inability to, to work with others to encourage efficiencies and encourage collaborations as opposed to just sitting there, seething, arms folded, coding, and uh, angry that someone's on Facebook. Who needs interpersonal skills when you have technology? Boy, that, it, you just summed up the problem with Silicon Valley right there. <laughs> are we in that? Are we still in the first story where we're in the Silicon Valley trailer? <laughs> there, we are, there we go. <laughs> Season six plot point. Put those collars on uh, on Pied Piper employees. Um, okay, here's a, it's a positive note. So where's that money going? Jeff Bezos um, is. Uh, I don't know if this was public, but he he is the the private funder behind the Long Now Clock Project. Um, the clock of the long now and uh, the 10,000 year clock, the 10,000 year clock. So this long now is an organization uh, and you can it, you can become a member. Uh, they do talks. They, they encourage thinking about long term and it's sort of curated by Stuart Brand. I think it's a really wonderful organization, uh, especially some of the seminars, because they do really make you think long term about civilization. And uh, the physical manifestation of that thinking is this project they've been embarking on that's um, you know, led by Stuart Brand and also uh, uh, Danny Hillis. Um, and they now we know funded by Jeff Bezos, which is uh, to install a working clock deep into a f- is it f- uh, how many feet is it? 500 feet? 500 feet tall. In 500 feet tall deep in, a, in, in a cavern, in a mountainside, essentially. In Nevada, I think, mm-hmm. somewhere. And uh, they are working on installing it right now. There's actually some great video you can find from the Long Now Foundation of the, the engineering of this. But they've done a scale model, and this is a clock that's supposed to operate for 10,000 years, which is a mind-blowing, you know, it, it helps us think about humanity and the scale of our civilization. The actual installation is interesting from a build perspective, from like just a, it, it's a bit of a stunt, but I think the w- what you pointed to is the behind-the-scenes engineering videos is what's really interesting about this project. If you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, Long Now has a bar called The Interval, um, and they have at elements. Fort yep. Yeah, at Fort Mason. They have elements of the clock there explaining some of the engineering process with with um, some videos and, and content available there to, to learn more. Um, I, like, I think this is really cool that this is moving forward it does feel like i mean i'm not sure what what the value of this is going to be but that's what the whole premise of the long now foundation was was to do this as one project they were working on mm-hmm. it's in texas is, is where oh texas sorry. texas yeah it's totally one of those things like it lets makes the mind wander to what would it be like five thousand years from now you know beyond any of our legacies mm-hmm. and what the humanity in would think of this type of achievement and this type of engineering. Especially when you think like 5,000 years ago, it's basically the dawn of the first Egyptian civilization. So we're talking, we don't have this 
huge history mm-hmm. on this planet when you think about that time scale. So 5,000 years in the future? Feels like something out of a Neil Stevenson book. Maybe the internet will work by then. Will it be a tourist attraction? I don't think so. I mean, it's so beautiful. You'd think expect people to be able to see it. I think that they'll have video feeds or something, but Live I don't video, think yeah. they want to risk access to it. Wow. So will it be in some encased in some sort of like a nuclear proof? Well, it's it's in the mountain. It's in a mountain, and they will. I, I, <laughs> that's that's what you get. All right. Yeah. A natural bunker. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, switching gears again. Talking about gears and car gears. Uh, did you see the most tragic thing? A crashed Tesla three. This photo. Uh, no. Oh, uh, Model Everybody 3. okay? Yeah. Um, Tesla Model 3 owner, not there aren't many of them, Wow. Uh, survived a 60-mile-per-hour crash, and there's a Holy photo cow. of the crash Model 3, and posted in the Tesla Motors subreddit about not only the experience <coughs> of the crash, but how the car operated during the crash and protected him um, from from damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, serious accident. Um but, you know, aside from the car being completely totaled, uh, he had good things to say about how the cabin survived and how, you know, the, the build of the car helped uh, save his life. And there was no battery rupture or fire that, you know, was a talking point with the, uh, with the Model S's last year. Yeah. Um, uh, one interesting thing, though, was the, the screen. You know, the Tesla Model 3 has a screen, and it's a glass screen. And during the collision, that glass screen shattered, and that was a cause for concern. Oh. It caused some cuts. Isn't that, I would, I, aren't those tempered so they would break into little bits like your windshield? No. Why make them glass at all? Why not just make it plexi? Well, because it's it's touch, just like your phone. Yeah, but stuff. I mean, wouldn't it? It's a real thin sheet of glass, you know, like like Gorilla Glass style. But, yeah. you know, in that type of collision, that's going to be shattering. I mean, look at your phones. Your phones don't shatter in a tempered way. When your phone screen shatters, it, it's shards. Yeah. Wow. Well, what, it wasn't an autopilot? Um, the, the details crash? of the crash were not released because of insurance purposes. Okay. So there's still... But whenever there's an accident, it's always the the headline is like autopilot has accident. I assume he was pl- driving manually if that's yep. not a part of the story. Yeah. Huh. Well, if you're a Tesla owner, you can jump back to the top of the list and, and get your Model Three before anyone else. Anyway. Uh, so. Did you hear about th- this? Is a more Tesla news just came um, to the top of Ars Technica today. Was it today? No, yesterday, I guess. Where apparently Tesla cloud resources were hacked. And what? the hackers installed uh, cryptocurrency mining malware. So, you know, it's, it's like they got in there and they installed their own custom variant of the crypto mining software that used custom ports and pointed to uh, uh, mining pools that were, you know, not normal uh, addresses that any, you know, uh, software, anti-malware software would have been looking for. But they just they just got in there using some username password that they had you know found, got in there, installed the software, and out they went. They had it like you know throttled so that no one would notice. Wow. Yeah. I have been pretty restrained, but it's mining is space. is becoming a real menace. Um, not only because of the the malware stuff we're seeing, uh, but the energy usage and how that's contributing to climate change and and creating conditions that are hard in in different countries. Um, around causing like brownouts and in some cases blackouts. Um, this week, astronomers reported they can't buy GPUs to do some deep, 
deep space research They're because not alone, the GPUs thanks. are spiked. Um, I, I I want to see this this come back down because it's causing ripple problems oh, everywhere. Oh, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> no, I actually did intend that pun. Did you? Yeah. Was, <laughs> I didn't know you guys knew about ripple. Uh, the problem is like you can't tell people to stop it. Like they won't stop it. You I don't can't th- just put out a tweet that says stop it. Enough. Enough so, with your mining. I mean, the the GPU manufacturers, what yeah. they probably need to end up doing is making mining-specific processors. Yeah. I mean, I, there are ASICs out there that you can buy and things, but like, it seems to me that there's a lot of hardware on the GPUs. And then again, I mean, maybe they just couldn't meet demand anyway. Maybe if they made another set of uh, you know processors for mining, there would still would be so much demand that people would still buy the regular standard GPUs. I don't know. It's trouble. Uh, moving on, like this isn't a, a tech-heavy week. We haven't seen. We're not getting a lot of product launches yep. or anything else soon. But next week we do get the Galaxy S nine. Ooh, now with less fire. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was the note. That was the note. That was a note. I'm just joking. Um, the this is really a phone that I think Norm would be interested in because yeah. it doesn't do much in terms of it, no Face ID, nothing like that. Yep. Just it's still fingerprint sensor. But really, it's about the upgraded camera. Yeah, there are some leaked photos, and this is a phone that will be announced in uh, Spain on the 25th. That's the anticipation for the event. And the leaked photos look very much like the essay. What looks to be different is this camera system, which, according to some reports, have a variable aperture system. That is very interesting. I'm not sure how that works. The aperture blades... Uh, apparently will let it shift between, uh, based on light levels, shifting between f2.4 and f1.5 as needed. Now, why would it do that? Well, well you know, just like any camera user would want, maybe to adjust that depth of field, see, yeah. what, see what you can get. I'm more wondering, like, this is a moving part inside of a phone. We haven't had real moving parts inside of a phone in forever, well, that's uh, not true. No, I mean, a lot of them, they have, like, the, the focal thing that, like, flexes the lens. So oh, it, it can right. get a little bit of, like, actual physical focus. But this is a bigger... I don't know. I mean, like, I would think this is prone to breakage. Yeah. Just like a normal camera. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe. I'm, I'm still interested. Why would you want to have it be a higher aperture, meaning having less light, flatter image, like most cameras, smartphone cameras are tiny sensors, wide angle lenses that really want to have the most light as possible. So why would you want less light in this camera? Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't wait to see. We'll wait to see how they pitch it. And and I misstated something. It will have like a face ID unlock. Wow. That's the anticipation. Um, in, in addition to a touch. In addition to a face. I gotta say, something. over over the past you know five months now of using a phone with face ID, more. False negatives than I like. Telling I'm you. putting on more. I'm, I'm entering my passcode manually more often um, than yeah. than I'm. Is it like just like, Face ID I, judging you, being like, "We don't like that haircut." No, it's more like um, the angle in which I'm holding the phone sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, the first thing in the morning when I pick up the phone, I'm like really sleepy, and the Face ID won't recognize. Right. Wow. You know what? I want to see that face, man. I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> where's the phone? Where's the phone? No, I don't know my passcode. Wow. Yeah. Uh, another tech item that's come out, and this is more of a, a, a broad category, and this is really about Jeremy's interest in this. We have an electric scooter on mm. the market. Electric scooter's not unusual. We have a new one from the company Arcos, 
What's Arcos, it? maker of media players? <laughs> I remember. I had like and a Android fla- tablet. I had a flashback to an Arcos uh, MP3 player. Oh I my had like God. way back when. Oh, wow. It looked like something out of The Last Starfighter. Um, but this one is Android powered. What does that mean? Runs Android. Th- it has a, a phone essentially built into it that runs Android Oreo that can give you directions, that can play music. What? A yes. tablet mounted your phone electric can do scooter. That. Why? What? So you don't have to have your phone put on the scooter. It's just built in five-inch screen. You're going to scoot somewhere without your phone? You don't have to risk the phone falling off on that oh. scooter mount. Well, the thing doesn't have a screen. You can have a... It's going to be all audio, I assume. No, no, no. It does have a screen. It a five-inch screen. This scooter has a... Oh, my Five-inch screen. You are right. Yeah. Running Android. Look at that. I don't think scooters need screens. I Like, what if it's renting scooters? Like, if you go... Yeah. You're visiting a town, you rent a... Oh, the tourism aspect. Yeah. Give, I think that could be interesting. Maps and points of interest. But I was going to ask Jeremy, just generally, as a boosted board user, yes. how important is the integration of a phone mm-hmm. to the experience of riding an electric transport like this well i mean what do you mean like do you feel like a screen a screen yeah this is a a generation up from what you see but how important is it to have that integration of a screen in that experience i mean it's it's a way to attract new customers that it, it has nothing to do with the inherent feeling of riding an electric vehicle like this like a scooter or a skateboard that's purely visceral i mean that's like that's just with the wind in your but, hair you're but you're not looking for like google maps when you're riding your boosted board you don't feel well, like heck no that's man important. i'm not no and you're stupid if you got headphones on you're, yeah. you shouldn't be doing that you got to pay attention and it's just it's like snowboarding on the streets and it's it's a feeling it's a physical thing uh you know adding technology to this i like your idea of the tourism aspect I don't know. Maybe it makes more sense on a scooter because it's it's less about you know you're not doing cool stuff. <laughs> it's pretty. Exp- you're not. <laughs> you're, wow. You're not carving up the streets. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You're literally just first scoot- thing on work, work ethic. Second thing now on people riding scooters. <laughs> so judgy. Ouch. Now I did a whole judge talk Jeremy. at the Castro about don't judge us. So I'm not judging this guy. I'm not. Um, but it you know maybe I it makes sense because if you're gonna make a new product you've got to compete and you've got to make yourself stand out from all the other guys and a screen in android certainly seems to do well that. it speaks to the commoditization of tablets and um, and what you know zero uh, royalty android has has done you know arcos made really cheap tablets android tablets and now they're putting you know that those tablets basically on scooters um but as we know, it's not like you can just slap an Andro- slap Android an Android tablet on anything and make it useful. The high integration of software and hardware and hardware and hardware is going to be important. And if that tablet isn't well integrated with the scooter, and it's just like having a cheap Android tablet on your scooter, it's not going to be very useful. Um, so there are pros and cons uh, to tablets reaching very low cost. Um, and I would I would prefer a better use a more thoughtful uh, user experience. And that's not to say this one isn't going to be thoughtful. But I, I, what I want when we see integration of technology is a thoughtful integration. There is an app for the boosted board, but it just it, you give firmware updates. You see how many miles you've gone. Yeah, and I, I saw Adam use his app with the one wheel, and it's really the most useful thing is about charging, like seeing when it's fully charged, yeah. but also. There was different um, profiles he could set oh, yeah, for okay. the conditions that he was driving in. Yeah. So, like, you could have your top speed, like, racing one. Do people, or, like, you know how people, when, when they go running, um, they they wear GPS watches and you can track your elevation, you can track your, sure. your, your, your route. 
and you can share that stuff. Is that something that you want to see integrated with these electric last mile vehicles so you can you know, optimize your routes and figure out where you're using it and what your inclines are and, and geographically optimize you know, your city to your, your scooting habit? You know what I, I, I want is uh, I've always wished that there was a boosted board um, option in Google Maps right next to public transport and walking. And walking. Yeah. For inclinations? For like the, yeah, the best routes. And maybe that's the biking. Maybe that you just choose biking mm-hmm. uh, and then it'll choose the biking lanes. And you get, don't go faster than bikes. But they're allowed to be in the biking lanes, or at least it's accepted. And right, so, and bikers probably yeah, don't like probably don't you guys because like you. you guys are going slower than bicyclists. I don't know about that. Yeah, you might, I mean, certainly downhill. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Uh, we're gonna, no, no, tell me about Doom on Switch. What is this? Uh, we're gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm going to talk about games. Doom on Switch. I'm going to switch gears and talk about some video games. All right. uh, Doom is already out on Nintendo Switch, um, and it's being patched. Um, and this is a feature... A new feature with the latest patch that I hope comes out on the Wolfenstein release on Switch, because that's what I'm looking forward to. But it's adding motion controls for aiming what? with your Joy-Con. Yeah. How does that work? So you hold the Joy-Con, and you can aim with the screen, whether it's TV screen or the, the you calibrate it. Yeah. And you can you know waggle left and right for aiming. But I still steer with the stick. So I still can do massive, like fast looks with the stick, but then it's like a fine tune with the wagging? Yes. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I don't fun. know how one-to-one that is, and the one-to-one is going to be different whether you're looking at a 7-inch screen versus a 40-inch screen, yeah. uh, or depending on the distance. So you want that one-to-one to be perfectly mapped. Oh, right? well, I don't know about one-to-one at all, because like the Wii actually could see where it was pointed, because it had the, the infrared emitters. Mm-hmm. Right. The and sen- here, all you have is accelerometer. Yeah. So I, I wonder about that, but... I don't know. It sounds fun. I'd, I'd like to try that. Yeah. I don't have Doom on Switch, but me neither. This is a cool feature. I might have to buy it. Can you strafe that way? You can just walk. You would walk. Just use the the stick, the the thumbstick, the left that thumbstick. Would, that'd be just awesome if you had to like actually physically move over, and that would cause you to strafe. Well, then you might as well play it in VR. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Um. One last story in tech. This one is a little bit of a uh, controversy. We got some uh, official word from the ESA, like. Electronic Software Association. They're the about, ones that put on E3, mm-hmm. for those that don't know. Uh, about um, preservation of software. This is a weird... They filed a 40-page brief. And I, I like loyal listeners will know um, Steve Lynn, who's been on the podcast before, a friend of Tested, um, has it works at a nonprofit about preserving um, video games. And, mm-hmm. and um, he and I had a little exchange about this last night. I mean, but the ESA has essentially said... A, a couple things like one we want to maintain copyrights for games even if they're multiplayer games that people don't play anymore like from the past and i sort of understand that like wanting to protect the ip of something that was developed even though it may lie dormant and they're talking about when you're saying online games you mean games with servers not just like web games right like ultima online everquest yeah everquest is the one that's named because I think there's been a lot of push to preserve that in yeah. some way. Um, so I can kind of sort of understand the rationale behind that. Uh, but at the other thing they said is that some of these games don't need to be preserved in this brief, which is something I, I totally rebut against. This is such an important part of history. I've got to think that was misunderstood. I mean, that's, that's an insane thing to say. Yeah. I, I don't understand that. And I think there should be like some sort of, 
I don't know, loophole exception for nonprofits that are trying to preserve these games. Like we're not talking about uh, places that are charging admission to for people to play EverQuest again. Right. But preserving the history of it should just be an important part of what what happens. I don't know why the ESA would be against that there's or al- make it harder. There's always been this abandonware yeah, uh, you know, subculture among wares traders, especially in in the game space, and it's always been the old games that are you hardly can't even run them anymore. That a lot of them are just DOS games that haven't been updated to run on Windows, and so and the the rights holders mostly they just let it slide. But it's always been legally gray, like and I, so I can understand where they're coming from. That maybe they're thinking eventually we'll have a nostalgic you know, wave and will want to take advantage of it and make some money off from re-licensing or, you know, a re-release of some kind. And then some games have done that and done well with it. So, you know, I can understand maybe why they want to retain those rights and keep a hold of it. But to say that they shouldn't be preserved is just false. I hope it was just a misquote or a quote out of context. Yeah. I think that does it for technology news this week. Before we move on to our next segment, I do want to thank the sponsor of this week's podcast, and that's Google's Cloud Platform. If you're, Are you looking to move to the cloud but don't know where to begin? You can check out Google Cloud Platform's weekly podcast, podcast where Google developer advocates Melanie Warwick and Mark Mandel answer questions, get in the weeds, and talk to GCP teams, customers, and partners about best practices, from security to machine learning and more Hear from technologists all over Google about trends and cool things happening with their technology. Learn more and subscribe to the podcast at g.co slash GCP podcast. That's g.co slash GCP podcast. And thank them for sponsoring this week's episode. Now it's time for a moment of science. Uh, a shortened moment of science this week because I was away. I was planning on talking about the SpaceX launch this morning, but that was delayed due to high winds. Um, it has come to my attention that I'm a little bit negative in the moment of science. I report on oftentimes some stories that have some downer elements in it. So for once, I'm going to tell you a few things that show that 2017 was the best year ever. All right, ready? Yep, I'm ready. You remember the Zika virus? Yeah. It's pretty much gone. Yes. We cannot find very many instances of it. And um, there's people in Latin American countries that have developed a full immunity to it. And uh, that is pretty wonderful. Uh, Leprosy. Can I interest you in a leprosy? Oh, well, no, 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 no. Uh, No. Leprosy is now very treatable. Uh, And in fact, they're targeting, the World Health Organization is targeting 2020, they're going to end the disease. How about that? That's great. What does that mean? That means it'll be gone. It'll be gone. No more lepers. Wow. Uh, Praise Jesus. uh, The CDC reported that the measles vaccine um, from the year 2000 to 2014 has saved 20 million lives. Uh, The poverty rate in the U.S. has fallen to a low since the financial crisis of 2008 when it peaked. It's down to 12.7%. Um, there are all these like wonderful stories in health and conservation. I'll link to like a, a full list. But this idea that we, uh, I, w- I want to inject a little bit more optimism 
when it comes to science of the world. Like things are progressing in an amazing way. All right, now I've gotten off the table. Here comes a really negative story. Okay. There is something called Compass, which is a software algorithm that's used in courtrooms. This first came to light because of a ProPublica story in 2016. And Compass is designed to assess the risk of recidivism of a potential um, uh, defendant in a, in a courtroom. And it's an algorithm-based procedure that will label somebody as low risk or high risk. And judges can then use that information to assess different bail rates, different um, uh, parole, uh, parole uh, identification. It can have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. On this, ProPublica did a story two years ago that showed that the software seemed to have a, bi- a racial bias built into it for some reason. That it was more often than not um, saying that people, uh, black people, had a higher risk um, generated um, in a statistically significant way. The New York Times has written about this um, and just how ethically this is weird. This is full minority report because when you're talking about risk of recidivism we're talking about future crime risk yeah yeah i mean race wasn't an issue in minority report right as i recall no i don't think so all right well a scientist did a study that came out this week where they assessed the the correctness of the algorithm versus a sample of just random people on the internet judging (laughs) the risk (laughs) oh boy (laughs) i'm sure it went well uh it came out equal the people the random people on the internet were able to uh, make predictions just as accurately as the algorithm. Mm. And while this is like, um, you know, this is kind of a, a negative story, like we're over relying uh, on this one algorithm. It like, I think it's what's interesting. Like, I, this is not a story you hear about that courtrooms are using machine learning and algorithms in their, in their quest for, for justice. What I really want to bring up was a discussion of, how comfortable are you about these algorithms being in places like judicial areas or making scientific decisions um, from this point? Because we've been having a lot of conversations about the algorithm of Facebook and Twitter, yeah. preferentially showing you news. All right, here's the thing. Well, what about other places? It 100% needs to be open source. This is something, if it's going to be used in the courtroom, the methods that it uses to make decisions need to be open to everybody to see. And it will, it will benefit from all of the same things that open source software does, which is you know an objective audience looking at the source code and adding improvements. And y- you would at least be able to see where these racial you know problems are are rooted. That that's my feeling. If if they if that actually were to happen, I don't. I mean, this is interesting. I could see it being one element at least for now as a test. I'm willing to trust cars on the road you know so why shouldn't i be willing to trust compass i mean it's a completely different type of intelligence so let's say we even had an open source one so you have like a little bit more trust in the software in the algorithm development Mm -hmm. how comfortable are you ethically about an algorithm being involved in criminal justice proceedings at all i think it's this is minority report i think it's futuristic i and i think it's probably going to be a fact of life at some point over the next, you know, decades, 
and it, we'll take baby steps, and we, yeah, we, it should be one element for now. I, I think people are just as fallible, and you know, you put the wrong people. In, in a lot of cases, people are more fallible. You put people in the jury box, and they're going to have their own biases. I, I think it brings up this idea of trust in algorithms overall for us to be discussing, and it's not one we get to discuss because the algorithms almost always developed by private companies mm-hmm. with zero transparency. Well, for reasons too, for, yeah. yeah, like because that's a thing they invest IP. a lot of time Absolutely. to develop. So, um, I just think this is just a really interesting case to look at, and um, assessing the scientific merit of this. I think the scientists who did the analysis basically said, like, did no one think about just testing out this algorithm uh, against a random sam- sampling of people? So, I think the open source idea is uh, an interesting one. Uh, that's it for this week. Did they say what they paid for it? Uh, no, no, that, <laughs> I don't want to open up that can of worms. <laughs> the VR Minute, virtual reality this week. You know, we're over a month and a half into 2018. I would still consider early 2018, but we still have not seen much of Oculus Go. Developers have it in their hands. Yeah, we saw a box uh, surface momentarily. Yep, a couple yep. weeks ago. Yeah, but the experience is something that we are we have, we have no idea about. We know some of the hardware specs, and you know, Facebook did announce who's making it. Xiaomi is is their partner for making it, and the it's a mobile chipset runs a Qualcomm eight two one processor. Um, but some fears maybe that. Uh, the price of getting it down the the, the to its low cost, yeah. the two hundred dollar price point. One of the one of the trade offs was that they had to use older hardware, and that whole older hardware is getting older all the time because we're getting new chips. That chip eight two one, the Qualcomm eight two one, isn't even the Snapdragon eight two one isn't even the newest Qualcomm chip uh, as of a month ago, and as of this month, it may be two generations behind. Uh, that same event we talked about Samsung Galaxy S9 being announced at this coming weekend at Mobile World Congress is where Qualcomm is going to be showing off its next generation Snapdragon chip, the Qualcomm 8, uh, let me get this number right, 845. And the 845 is going to be made for VR with In, VR optimizations. What does that mean? Well, they have a reference headset. A prototype headset, a reference design headset that shows off the features of this chipset. Oh, um, the specs of the reference headset are up to debate because the press release and the photos aren't very clear. But what they're saying is that this headset, this chip that the headset is is, is being shown uh, showing off, yeah. the chip can run up to two point four k per eye. Whoa! Yeah, past two k per eye at one hundred and twenty hertz Hot up to. Diggity! I don't know. If that's like. 120 hertz at maybe 2k per eye, and then and then you load it go get down to 90 hertz or 60 hertz when you get up to 2.4k, but it has the potential of running something up to 120 hertz and running screens up to 2.4k. Uh, we assume above 60 frames a second, which is what the the Gear VR standard would be. I'm just scanning this article. It's also capable of doing its own slam. Yes, so simultaneous the, location and mapping. The, the Snapdragon chips are, you know, a combination of CPU, GPU, and some signal processors. And so, not only is it a faster CPU, um, it's going to be faster GPU. The new um, Adreno six twenties, I believe, but also has some signal processors that allow it to better process or optimize the processing of inside-out tracking for cameras mounted on the outside to world sense, and also cameras on the inside of 
the headset to do eye tracking as well. Oh, wow. So it's hardware optimized, eye tracking, hardware optimized, slam tracking, and even hand tracking. So now, this is something even beyond Oculus's. What is it like Santa Cruz? What is the, the upcoming? Santa Cruz. Yeah. Well, how well its slam works and how well its foveated rendering and its eye tracking works, no one knows. Yeah. And even if they say it's optimized, there's a lot more than just saying optimized hardware for it to have it actually be a usable and a useful feature. Um, and but, who knows if anyone's developing content that takes advantage of any of that stuff. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a reason the Oculus says that foveate rendering is a hard problem to solve and current eye tracking methodologies are not optimized to make it a comfortable experience. But the fact that Qualcomm is making mobile chips that are targeted for VR headsets and AR headsets, and the fact that the Facebook, the Oculus Go headset is two generations behind gives me a little bit of worry. I'm not worried. Come on, you get what you get, man. It's $200 yeah. for the yeah. Go. I mean, that's a, that's all that matters. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play movies. It's going to play your basic VR titles. It's going to do everything people expect for $200. How much do you want to have Jeremy work at Best Buy that the week it comes out? <laughs> and just throwing <laughs> Oculus Goes at people. You get what you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't wait to see uh, what developers, you know, whether it's HEC or hardware makers, do with this chipset um, beyond what the the reference headset can do. And I'm interested yeah. to see what the reference headset can do and what demos they've built up for it because they want to sell chipsets. They want to sell the Snapdragon 435s, um, eight, 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 I'm sorry, 845s to hardware makers. So how long does it usually take for the, after the announcement for them to show up in products? I mean, the reference year? headset means that they can manufacture these, Qualcomm can, and people can slap their own labels on them. Yeah. But my our experience with reference designs like that is that they're not going to be great experiences because they're not built from the ground up along with the software makers yeah. as, as full platforms. I think usually we get the announcements of the chip following them having sold off the processor to a company that's already going to integrate it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a long time before we see yeah. these 845 chips in some type of headset. Um, but Oculus Go, I mean, now we're looking forward to Oculus Go 2, right? If they can get it to, to that low price point. I would, I know that, you know, from a mass, from a getting, um, get, you know, chicken and egg standpoint and getting users adopted into VR. $200 is a hugely compelling price point, and this is a necessary product to get people consuming 360 video and consuming rotationally tracked headsets. But I hope that Facebook is looking at this chip and, and, and not going for lowest common denominator for something like Santa Cruz. Because yeah. that is going to be a six-off tracking system. That's going to be a higher-end system, we presume. And don't just I mean, have a product for the low-end. You know, make your make your uh, investment pay off for, for your those gear VR titles, but I would love to see you know not, maybe not Oculus Go two, but Santa Cruz take advantage of the processing power and put better hardware. I certainly hope Oculus Go is the last non six DOF product that Oculus makes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three DOF is also an experience you can have right now for Olympics in VR. And Kishore, I heard you tried some of that. Oh, did you? Yeah, I I borrowed a friend's uh, Gear VR. And tried it out. It basically works with Daydream, you know, or cardboard, Gear VR, or Windows Mixed Reality. And I tried it out. You know, cardboard's not a good way to experience much of anything. Yeah. Uh, so I went to Gear VR. It is awful. What about it? So bad. I mean, it is awful for for many things. I mean, we can complain about 360 video generally, but this goes beyond that. Like the views 
in some of these sports like downhill skiing are are nauseating or they've set up some sort of VR view where they just basically whiz by you. Are you on so, the helmet of the skier? No, but you're basically at like a corner where where the skiers are passing by you. Okay. And they're whizzing by you <laughs> so fast yeah. that like it's hard to process any of the information that's coming at you. Uh-huh. Um the app is buggy, but that's fine. That's not a big deal. It, but it's do you like, know if it's stereo or is it monoscopic? 360? It's three. Uh, it looks like 360 video. Yeah, but so is it like stereo sti- or monoscopic? I don't know. Okay. It's just, I like, it makes me wonder, like, every year there's a big sporty event. Like, check this out in VR. Um, the Verge wrote an article where it's like, we need to cut this out. Because it's turning this broad swath of people off to the technology. Yeah. Because it's so awful that it doesn't add anything to the experience. Because none of those experiences do you need to turn your head to see anything more (laughs) about the content that you're seeing. No, you might as well just let the cameraman do it. Yeah, exactly. Because they're they're trained. They're right there. They have, you know, the the ability to uh, to do it. So, um, have you have you tried it out at all? No. You guys tried it out with the Olympics. No, I hope it goes away until we can get something interesting where you're either fully like you're there's a camera on a contestant's head and you're getting a full experience of what it's like. Yeah. Like luge. That might be really interesting. Mm-hmm. But all of the other sports like they have, they were showing curling in VR. How's like, that work? What is this point of this? Like from the sidelines? Yeah. <laughs> from a top down view from the God view. Yeah. From the brushes perspective, the I mean, broom what, perspective. What you really want is is a uh, is a world scanning ability, so that you can just do a three D camera where you can shoot a space, get everything in three D, and then allow a VR camera to fly within it, and just exist wherever they want. They fly. They can slide. They can walk. They can just watch from the ice. That's what you want. That's mm-hmm. that's coming. You gotta be patient. Our next VR story is one of these hardware prototypes that gets me as excited about experiments in VR. There's a, um, a hardware developer who is making a experimental attachment to the Vive controller that adds um, simulated weight to objects. Uh, it's called um, Nyoibo, and I'm maybe pronouncing that uh, in, incorrectly, but it's uh, based on the, uh, the uh, a Dragon Ball Z reference. The, the character Goku has an extendable staff. The Monkey King has a, a staff that grows and shrinks. And basically, this is a mechanical attachment to the top of your Vive controller that unfolds itself or can vibrate or can shift its weight based on uh, what the software, Unity plugin, essentially tells it. So the demo, there's a video of this, shows basically... Um, you know, you're picking up something like a, a, a an Uzi, and then the the mechanics on top of your Vive controller start shaking based on when you fire the Uzi. But if you pick up like a longer weapon where it's maybe more front heavy, like a you know like a assault rifle or something, then the actual the the um, the attachment extends out beyond the front of uh, your Vive controller and then shifts the center of balance to the front of the controller so it feels like you're picking up a heavier object. That's neat. Yeah. It's not something that would ever be a part of a commercial product. No. no. But, it's but it could be for uh, location-based VR. I suppose, yeah. Right? You know, limited quantity, B2B mm-hmm. type things. And then our last VR story is a new release uh, that we'll be talking about on this, episode, uh, this week's episode of Projections, which is uh, Brass Tactics, an Oculus Studios game um, that's uh, one of the first 
AAA RTS games in VR. Yeah, I, I am not an RTS player, so I will uh, just say that right out of the gate, but it's a good game. It's a good game. Yeah, we'll talk about more in depth on projections, so you can watch it there. But it's available. There's also uh, Brass Tactics Arena, which is free for people to try out. Um, but there's also the full game, which has a full single player complement. Yeah. Uh, I think that does it for this week's episode. We haven't tested anything last week or this week, probably the week before. You don't want to talk about what we've been testing? Well, we can. You, you've been testing let's something? Do, yeah, let's, uh, talk let's do it. All right. Testing. One more segment. This week. Hey, what have you guys been testing? Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Adafruit has this cool product, um, and it's called the Circuit Playground. Uh, there's a newer one. Uh, they came out with one, you know, like a year and a half ago, and then r more recently in the past, um, I don't know, several months, they came out with a new one. Circuit, I think it's Playground Express. Oh God, <coughs> where'd my web browser go? Um, and it's it's super cheap. It's like twenty dollars. Uh, and it's made to help teach people. It's $25, the new one is. Um, and it's made as like an introductory, you know, piece of hardware if you want to learn to tinker, learn to, learn to make, learn to code. And it's, it's criminally easy to, to, make the, to make this thing do things. I got one for my 11-year-old who's never touched Arduino, an IDE, in his lifetime. Uh, he does have experience with Scratch, which is a... Uh, graphical drag and drop programming, uh, you know, interface developed at <coughs> MIT. Well, not only is the Circuit Playground Express compatible with Arduino code and uh, Python, it has like a drive. You log in, you just type your Python, and it can run. It's also compatible with this scratch-like interface, um, which I think was developed at Microsoft and Adafruit uses strictly for the Circuit Playground Exp Express. So you plug the thing into your computer. You then go to the website on, on Adafruit, and you drag and drop your hardware con commands. You type in your variables. I said, look, see if you can make a security motion detector. I left the room, and within like two minutes, he'd never touched anything. He had a thing working where it, when he picked it up, it sounded an alarm, and the lights flashed. And it wasn't a prefab program. That's cool. So anybody, uh, like frustratingly so, can make, I mean, for, for anyone who's done actual programming, it can make what they want on this thing. It has lights, sound, buttons, temperature sensor, um, an IR sensor, and receiver, so you can have two of them, and they can communicate with each other. It has a battery port, has touchable contacts um, that do capacitive touch. It's got, uh, that I say, a, like a real speaker. Um, it's super cool. I, I, it's for 25 bucks. It just does so many things, and it's so easy to make things with. It's super cool. So I just wanted to say, nice job, Adafruit. You put programmers out of business. I've been trying out the Arlo, which is a wireless camera home security system. Yeah. Um, I know there are a lot of comments last I think I talked about this a year and some ago. And um, there's a lot of um, tested listeners that have been were big proponents of just wired camera solutions. And I'm, I'm finding that to be a big problem so far with the wireless camera solutions is is maintaining connection and uh, and uptime as a neighborhood evolves because it's one thing to do to install it and everything's working and all the channels are fine and even adapt to 
some of the regular interference. But as you go forward, you're investing in a system for a number of years. And uh, I'm really curious how it's going to hold up to that. But Arlo has been interesting because it gives it's like just one. It's a simple interface and it has, you know, extensible camera system. It has like a web based DVR, doesn't it? Yeah, that's good. Mm hmm. Um, but I had tried out the Ring, and I hate Ring. Okay. Yeah, mm. Like, Ring is, just because it's a subscription model, it's the 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 uh, responsiveness of the app, because it's you know, meant to replace your front doorbell, the responsiveness of the app to actually answer the door, as you would, is so slow. Wow, you want zero latency there. Or at least something that's a reasonable amount of latency. Hmm. I've, w- I've been watching reviews of the Mavic Air, man. You should get one. I, I don't know. It looks pretty good. You should get one. I mean, you should get one. No. Tested should get one. No. Oh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that does it this week for the Sonya Test. We'll be back next week with more talk. Uh, will we all be back next week? Should I we? will not be yeah. next week. You can be traveling. I'll, yeah, I'll be on the slopes in Tahoe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, I thought Amazon was bringing you in to give a pep talk to its workers. <laughs> Um, what's burn. coming up on Tested? Uh, we have, uh, I talked about this on, um, still entitled, but our video of our, our amazing boat journey, our boat ride, uh, will be up on the site tomorrow, uh, and projections as well. And we're I feel gonna, like we've oversold that at this point. Oh, you'll see. Wait, once, okay. once you, wait till you see the video. Am I, I'm not in it, am I? Uh, no, you're in it. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I have decided. Um, and um, some stuff from Adam next week. We've been shooting a bunch of one-day builds, so we're wrapping those up, and you guys can uh, expect to see those on the site in the next few weeks or so. USA women bringing home tonight against those evil Canadians. Let's go. Hi there. I didn't see you. That's it. The average length of time it takes a mammal to empty their bladder is 23 seconds, from the tiniest mouse up to the largest whale. I did not know that. 23 seconds. Wow. Did you learn that on Planet Earth too? So I timed myself last week after you played that outro, <laughs> and I was at 29 seconds. Whoa. <laughs> Above just, average. Yeah, well, it just shows you how much liquid I drink during the podcast. Yeah, I'm going to test that now.